Hello and welcome to this month's ARC Audio Book Club. This time we've read Unike Sjönt's short novel Dark Spring from 1967. It's the story of a young girl growing up in a suburb of Berlin, but you'd be forgiven for not noticing the location as it's really about her fatally complicated sexual awakening. It's kind of like The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, but with more added misery and an unhappy ending. And this month we have Sarah Omani. Hi. And Frank Kubansky. Hi. And Macon Holt. Hello. So we've all read this Freudian nightmare of onanistic <laughs> rituals and unfulfilled desire. And what did you think about the book? I think it's a Freudian dream more than a Freudian nightmare. That is maybe <laughs> <laughs> depends on how you want your Freud. Well, it's a Freudian dream in the sense that it gives you all your Freud. <laughs> oh yes. If you're looking for your Freud, you're getting all your value in this uh, this little volume. Uh, yeah, I'm not an expert on Freud, so I had the pleasure of reading it outside of the whole Freudian spectrum. And to this point, I I have to say I liked it uh, as a picture of uh, uh, of of somebody who suffers a lot, and this suffering is presented in a very uh, convincing way. So that would be my take on that. Convincing way, yes. Another thing is that Unikation was a German surrealist. But did you feel that in the novel or the novella? The surrealism of that? I don't know if I felt it in the writing itself, but it, it kind of made sense in that the surrealists were very inspired by Freud in spite of him not being a huge fan of the surrealists at all. Mm. Um, he didn't like the way they used his theories. Um, so it, it makes sense to me that they call her a surrealist because she is big on the Freud vibe. Yeah. But... It didn't. It didn't seem surrealistic. It just no. felt very extreme. Mm. No, I agree. Yeah. Though uh, it was very hard not to spot it either because of a lengthy introduction, which is uh, presented in the book and which kind of emphasizes all her links to surrealist art movement. And so I took a look at the the dolls uh, uh, by uh, Belma. And like reading the book after seeing the images, I could, <coughs> I couldn't get the, those images of of the surrealist artworks from my mind. So in this way, I was connected, but not the text itself. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I um, didn't read the introduction. Good. I was, okay. um, I was about to read the introduction, and I enjoyed the first image that it brought up about the. Uh, well, not enjoyed. I thought, oh yeah, that's an image that was brought up, which is also referred to in the window of this. Uh, the horizontal lines being women and the vertical lines being men and that being a window into something. But is that in the introduction as well? Yeah, that's awesome. book didn't have the introduction. Yeah. The introduction yeah. ruined everything. Okay. The introduction yeah. like told you... Did it spoil the end? Yeah, then? it spoiled yes. everything. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was basically yeah. like a... <laughs> I should have vetted the book. <laughs> no, the second time I read it, I didn't read the introduction and that was a while after I read it the first time. So it didn't. the second time wasn't spoiled by the introduction. Okay. But yeah, avoid the introduction if you can. Really? But yeah. this is not really a novel that you read for the plot. Like, I wonder yeah. what happens in the end. <laughs> read the introduction after you've read the actual... Read it as an explanation of what you've just read. Okay. <laughs> But to an extent, you sort, of, you sort of read this book for the direction. Like, you read it for the... It's like, it, yeah, it's not a plot, as you say, because it's not like, you're not like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, this is going well. No, it's, no. Um, no, no. I, I wonder where the conflict will come. Oh, throughout. <laughs> But you, it's this, uh, it's more the, tra the trajectory that you're going for, I think. But then also, I'm sort of, I mean, I, we should probably spoil this book. Absolutely. Otherwise, otherwise, it's impossible to talk about because it's 
So, it, you know, it leads up to the suicide of the young girl whose perspective we're given, like, at a very close third-person narration. Who's like, you know... We could also offer a short recap of the book for... Those who haven't read it. Future readers. Um, yeah, okay. Girl. Young of, girl. Young girl, suburb of Germany, uh, becomes aware of her body and what possibilities are there, and that the whole world is a way to frustrate those possibilities, and then is so frustrated... Oh, wait, is then raped by her brother... Which is, of course, and violated by her mother, and violated in some way by her mother, and um, let down by violated. all the men, and also sort of impressed by the women, but intrigued by the men, and then it all gets too much, and then she kills herself. Yeah, and then there's a dog. Actually, there's the dog, dog is earlier. The dog, <laughs> one, of, one of her best, her happiest days is when she trains the dog to um, provide her with oral sexual services in the basement of all places. Well, where else would you do this? I don't uh, know how you. I mean, in the structures of the bourgeois Freudian family she has to live through, where do you put this this engagement with the dog in the living room? <laughs> no, 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 way down with the id. Yeah, with, with, oh, yeah. oh. oh, the levels. Oh, <laughs> feeding the onion. Feel that onion. <laughs> it's always the same onion. How likely is this? Uh, um, uh, but then, yes, after her suicide, and this actually I think is the key scene of the entire book. After the suicide, she so she jumps out of the window, and the dog runs over and begins to lick her crotch, only to find that she doesn't react, and that makes the dog sad. And at this point, I thought this could be so wonderful if the dog just keeps licking. And but doesn't notice. Also, and then it would give you something about how people were bodies and shapes in the world and how there was no essential essence that was taken at the moment and it would be so much more... It would reveal all the fallacies she was operating under which were causing her so much of her own trauma, turmoil in addition to the turmoil that was being thrust upon her. But it doesn't do that and then the dog just goes away and is sad and that you have to think about this, the, the dog's sad face. But is this the only <laughs> moderate feeling that we're exposed to during the book? The suicide? No, the dog that is just sad. Because the whole book is like a frenzy of fury and anger. And mm. now, now there's something that's sad, which I can relate to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but really, it's, it's, not, it's, not ex- it's not an extreme emotion. No, exactly. I can relate to it. <laughs> the dog is just like, oh, The first dead. one to find her. <laughs> <makes me> sad. <laughs> the first one to find her is the dog. He sticks his head between her legs and begins licking her. When she does not move at all, he begins whimpering quietly and lies down beside her on the grass. It's, it's, it's a that is the only non-extreme emotion during the book. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. A kind of a sort of mildly perturbed dog. How did the use of the third-person narrative in the book work? Was it too clinical? Or would it have been too much if the girl was telling the story herself? Because actually, I read it first time I think this winter and then I reread it now and I remembered that she was telling the story the entire time of like all her rage yeah. um, and how angry she was but she doesn't it's being no. told for her and maybe it would have been too much if she had done it I don't know I think this is also what comes as a surprise in the passage you just quoted because then you realize it's not her basically describing mm-hmm. her own life because yeah. there's this extra four five sentences uh, from a perspective of a narrator who's not her. Uh, and this is one of the surprising moments of the book, at least to me, as far as it is constructed. Mm. Uh, but I, 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 I don't see how this could have been narrated from the first person. Like, this would be... This would involve 
too much of, a, of an emotion, I would say. This, this third person, despite the fact that it already conveys a, a, a lot of clear and uh, very explicit thoughts, it still creates a little bit of a distance which keeps you through it somehow. I'm not sure I would finish the book if it was written in the first person, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That could have been a little bit too much. But also now that you mention it, it's, it, it made me think that that's also quite Freudian, that it's in the third person. Mm the way, like with psychoanalysis, the way that you talk mm. about what the dream you had, what the people in the dream did, it, it mm. feels very much like mm. someone, it's the, yeah. It's the superego. Yes, right? exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like, or, or, this, or, or the, it's either the superego or the ego in a kind of, either the ego mediation between the rules of the world and her id, and it's trying to mediate it through this story, but then she is dead, but then <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that it's a, it's a very interesting detail, but it's um, to pretend that, that this theory is valid. It doesn't work. <laughs> but the if it's this if it's the superego, then that would be like if you then get that in like a kind of Lacanian way, the superego kind of persists beyond the person's life anyway. So, but I think yeah, it was, it was both interesting. It does break that that proximity when you realize the um, girl is dead and the narration continues, which means that actually the, the opening is this kind of is sort of a, a thrust into. Into her. Into her, yeah. yeah uh, but I think there is also uh, some uh, signs earlier in the book which suggest it cannot really be her throughout because uh, most of the narrative is very simple and the sentences are really childlike. The language is very just descriptive and I really liked it actually. Hmm. But then there are moments when she sort of becomes very reflective, like too reflective for her age or at hmm. least my idea of how 10, 12-year-old Thing. Or if I, I try to remember myself at that age, and I definitely wouldn't be capable of expressing some thoughts she was expressed throughout the book. So that was the first moment you get a like hint that it's not really her who's talking. Like she's becoming too mature all of a sudden. I don't know if you had this impression at moments when she reflects and in her reflection, like she becomes very like just too mature for her age as yeah. you speak to yeah and that's always what annoys me in books that are narrated mm. by a child when it's the first person perspective like <laughs> extremely loud and incredibly close yeah. couldn't read it that kid <laughs> was too reflective and so annoying and it becomes so forced because then like the author makes up for it by like suddenly it's very declarative like because I can do this mom says or something like that uh, and it becomes suddenly very simple while he's also hyper reflexive uh, reflecting about everything and that's just doesn't really work so I think it was great that it was mm. the third person yeah. someone mm. who's telling the story in a way it also it didn't I never felt distanced from distanced from what was happening like I felt it was very it was extremely loud and critically close in a way the stuff that was happening in this book mm. um, like but the child is not necessarily aware because it's being told for her what she yeah, experienced definitely yeah but it, it also, like, there, there were pages, like what you said earlier, Megan, that there were pages that mm. I couldn't actually, like, look at while I was reading them because it was so intense and physical, like mm. the things that she, mm. like when she's discovering her sexuality and the, mm. the implements she uses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just... Yeah, that got me as well. It was very physical. Yeah. Even, you just... Uh, oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that works really well on the radio. It's mostly facial expressions. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the worst case scenario of a coming of age story. It's like everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Well, this seems to be the premise of the book, basically. <laughs> yes. 
it, it was something about the way that we get that dynamic also between her first person perspective and the and the narrator's perspective and it's the really unpleasant way that she refers to her genitals her her brother her, her genitals and the brother's genitals once the rape once he's raped her at age 10 is that what happened yes. she's 10 it, no i think she's 10 she's 10 right? i think it's, uh, i think she's 10 but the way that like the narrator lets you know that she calls it his knife how is that like in that it's not the narrator doesn't declare it to be his knife mm. but that she calls it his knife i can't find mm-hmm. Uh, him stabbing her. So that's always in quotation marks. It'll be, but it's her, it's her thought yeah. that the narrator has access to. Yeah. And that actually maybe allows you that moment of being of getting too close. No, you're right. It even says explicitly knife as she calls it. Yeah. Into her wound. But what's very strange is that apart from this scene and then the suicide, even though everything else is you know not going so great in lots of different ways, I really got a lot of. <laughs> a large sense of excitement from the book mm. that um, there was a kind of and I think that was what made the Freudian nature of it very disappointing was there was all this thrill of sensation but it was always being trapped back to these structures which I wasn't convinced the author wanted to critique like as if as if the um, the problem was the mismatch rather than the structure being imposed the problem was like that the girl's relationship to the structures was wrong, mm. rather than the structures themselves should not have been in place, and yeah. that was frustrating to me. But there's a, but because because through the text there is so much excitement about what can be done with a body, like mm-hmm. just work out this like, elaborate system where you can get a dog to like lick you out mm. is so interestingly weird and perverse that it's quite thrilling. But at the same time, that she just is always. I mean, obviously the system is so oppressive that it's defeating her in lots of different ways, but that it just, it's just very disappointing. Maybe that's the point, is to get the sense of a kind of structural disappointment, but it's... Yeah, and that's a strange point, because in a lot of ways it reminded me about Story of the Eye, Mm -hmm. which is the opposite thing, but reading the book, her world becomes normal, which is not supposed to be normal, Mm. but the same way with Story of the Eye. But in Story of the Eye, the... Uh, they're oblivious to all these rules. Mm. As with her, she is so ashamed of everything and create these dark fantasies that mm. are shameful. But the two people in the story of the eye don't care. But is she ashamed? <clears throat> I never got the impression she was ashamed. She, uh, to me, it, felt, it seemed like she was disappointed that the men she idealized also engaged in, like sexual fantasies mm. but, I never but isn't that the because that it's a shameful business and not something we rejoice in and yeah. do together <laughs> in broad daylight but I, ne- I never got the impression that she was ashamed about the things that she was doing She's to me everything felt ashamed like when the school teacher impregnates his wife yeah. they uh, act horribly towards him but no one addresses the subject because it's so shameful yeah but they talk to each other about the, the, the little girls talk to each other about like the weird things they've inserted into themselves and how they've like the new ways they've discovered of masturbating and that's true but they know. also say that or like the narrator says that they knew that it was only the men that could like save them from the beginning ailments yeah. and they don't talk about that they just all know that no men will touch them yet yeah that's true and there's always there's an ailment but it's never really mm. 
elaborated. Yeah. To me, everything in that book felt so shameful because you have this house and to me it looks like if you cut a dollhouse like open, right? So you can see all the rooms and everyone in that house is masturbating on their own. Yeah. Uh, the mother is in her bedroom naked and unhappy in her bed and like swapping partners with another couple and the dad is with the wife there somewhere in the house and mm. the brother is in, is in his room with the mother's what makeup vibrator <laughs> thing for the face in his pants and the girl in the basement with the dog and like, mm. everyone is just going at it yeah. but alone and I, I mean luckily or I don't know I don't abide to any structures but <laughs> they, like okay I'm glad they don't not all doing it together in the living room but <laughs> it seems that sex is something really shameful viewed through the eyes of this young girl yeah but I, I guess but not she didn't seem ashamed of what she was doing herself she'd never seemed ashamed mm. of masturbating as well Yeah, I think I would agree with you, Sarah. It's more like as the readers who read it and then with all your knowledge and experience, you kind of read shame into it. But I also didn't have an impression it was shameful for her. No. For her. Mm. Uh, because shame would imply some sort of awareness of what is going on, which is to a big point lacking from her like point mm. of view. Like she, mm. she doesn't seem to comprehend everything, even though she says after the rape uh, by her brother, she says, now I understand everything. But I don't think she really does in, in this sense, like which would imply her being capable of seeing it as, as shameful. I don't know how important this detail is for the book itself, but I think a lot of mm. what you read out of it is, is, is only possible to your own adult experience. Uh, mm. The same time, it's only possible to be illustrated by a figure of a, of a young person who's just discovering all those things. That's why like, it would be never possible to write a novel like this or a novella like this. Uh, with a character being older, because all those experiences necessarily happen earlier uh, in your life. So she's too young yet to feel shame about this. That's that's how I seen it. Yeah. And, and well, I felt like as we said, like there were pages you couldn't look at, which was implied like we all felt kind of weird. Like I felt very weird reading this. Yes, like verging on like. Like I don't know, secondhand embarrassment, which yeah. is a bad term maybe, but secondhand shame to a point, like. Uh, but it was more like what you know about life, which made you like read it into it rather than what was like present there. Yeah, because what what's happening for her, I guess, is that she's she's not internalized the prohibitions, but she is aware that the prohibitions exist. So she's not masturbating in the living room. It's it it she's aware that she has to be away from people for this activity to take place, but like it's not to the point where you internalize it so such that you think that it's just or right or the way of the world and that I guess is what we maybe that's mm. but when I say shameful I don't mean it in the sense that she can't enjoy it just that it's something she knows you do alone and in her fantasies it's all these people like spitting at her yeah. and mm. ending like uh, mocking her ends up killing her mm. that seems very masochistic Oh, what's the and what's the quote with the <clears throat> every night she dies again it's like it's a little bit before the suicide isn't it where she's imagining all the things that she'd like to happen with the spitting and then someone slitting her throat open while they have sex with her mm. and mm. oh yeah and they're all stabbing her a thousand st yeah yeah 
No, but you're also right. She's definitely aware that she should be hiding because when the when she discovers that she can make the door liquor, um, she's also excited by the fact that people any someone might discover at any time. Mm. So she's also there's this duality, like you were saying. Mm. She's aware of that this is something you don't do in public, but also she doesn't really. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not like an awareness that it's like a a um. It's an awareness she knows of rather than an awareness she feels to be yes. true. It's like yeah. To me, this stems from in the opening where she describes in her fantasies of uh, the father and eventually other men as they exist. That she yeah I mean it's, it's it's so much the language of Freud where she starts to talk about how she is lacking in some way and would be completed mm-hmm. where you're talking this totally um, phallocentric version of sexuality which basically tells you that women are incomplete and it's it's so like horrendously bought into that you just that you just can't, you, that, that actually the main thing for me was not so much shame as just this despair that the premise from which everything was operating on was so limited and so problematic to um, problematic to the ability to move beyond the, the the impediments to being happy like you can't be happy in yourself you, like, your masturbation can all, all masturbation can always be insufficient because it doesn't fulfill the lack problem. So then sexuality is always has the has the, the stakes are always too high. It's always the case that any sexual encounter then has to be about fulfilling an existential lack, which is also unfillable if you again go with the rest of like Lacanian Freudian stuff because it, it's it's always just out of reach mm. the whole time. It's like it's always this lack is always someone else's penis. And that's the really fucked up thing about this whole perspective. So I don't really remember the ending, but she goes to this guy's house that she's met by this swimming pool a few times. Mm. And then he's sick and he's not there and she despairs and he go, she goes to his house and she buys a lot of peaches and yep. he's like, what the fuck are you doing <laughs> here? I'm like an older man and you are a 12-year-old girl. This is so inappropriate. And then they eat the peaches and... He spits out uh, a stone, a stone yeah. and she saves it. Yes. And she goes home and she hides it under the wallpaper or something like that, right? Yeah. And then she kills herself. Well, then she thinks about what everyone's going to say to her death for 10 or 15 pages, and then she kills herself. Yes. Yeah. Why there? Yeah. Like, he was nice. No, she but like... She from the pool. She's the, banned from the pool. Her mother the, told yeah, her that's never the, to that's go the back. Twist. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's so she what... can never see him again. Yeah. yeah. But he and already then... declared his lack of interest <laughs> in the small girl. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I mean, have patience. <laughs> well, not <laughs> even have patience. Like maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't need his interest. Maybe she just needs something to focus her desire mm. onto, like the the lack, the missing father figure, the male person that she can't be with. Yeah, I think it also uh, is, it says explicitly in the text that uh, she realizes that that's why she was born, to meet him. And in this sense, like, she finds the fulfillment. Like, And in her 12-year-old perspective, this is basically the end of the world. She understands mm. like, some sort of existential purpose. And she says she would be ready to live on now, like not seeing him, but being banned from the pool, she realizes she wouldn't. Uh, and that's when she decides to kill herself. 
So it's the perfect revenge against the grown-ups, right? Because that's the only sense of empowerment she really has, is killing herself. Yeah. No, it's interesting if you think about it, if you, if, when you frame it as, as a mode of empowerment, um, which is a dangerous thing, obviously, to say. But what's interesting about it to me is that it's a mode of refusal, mm. where it's actually refusing the constrictions placed upon her mm. in a way where... It, it, it's also a way of refusing life and everything, so that's probably back to Freud with death drive stuff. But I'm always intrigued by that move, where you don't respond to the stru- the structure, but you deny the structure any power over you anymore. But I don't. I wouldn't advise this as a strategy. <laughs> no, but to me it felt the same as like what you're saying, but like with people who starve themselves to death, yeah. or who blow themselves up yeah. as the last resort. Yeah, because it's the only option mm. they feel they have. Oh, it's like yeah, it's the um, like also the, the self-immolation thing is the most like uh, as a mode of protest as a. Mm. It's the most radical thing I can really think of, mm. unless you just want to be go to the other mm. ditch and become Battleby the Scrivener. Because <laughs> I had to mention that Excuse at me. some point. <laughs> <laughs> but we talked. We talked about this though in the in the in the story of the eye podcast. We were talking about the uh, the way that it, they have a kind of a denial of life as well. But I I don't know if I get that. But this is definitely about a denial of yes life. If like basically, it's like a massively long Derrida sentence, which goes: If life is in the conditions of these constrictions, wherein we are meant to behave in line with certain gender roles that are defined as such and then gives a list of that then in those conditions I will refuse this is all one sentence yeah yeah one sentence with like really like large internal claws which is demarcated by large dashes another thing is it's also kind of a that that's another thing that makes it surrealist is that it's kind of it's kind of a pun the whole thing because throughout the thing she's masturbating there are lots of little deaths and then at the end there's the big death the property mm. which stops all yeah. the little deaths yeah yeah, yeah it's really a lot of big on puns okay it's <laughs> a lot of warm up for the yeah yeah so that's more that's a surrealist um, mm? thing I can point to I wonder if it's surreal if like the people the, it gets described as surrealist because it's so fascinated by sensation collaborate because there's <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone had like a, a someone would just instantly agree and go yes I know what you mean. Um, within my viewing of surrealist artworks, which is a unqualified viewing, I have often been fascinated with the way that they depict the materiality of the unconscious. So when you have your Dali melting clocks, it's about feeling the viscerality of the liquid of time becoming liquid, and then that relating to the actual actuality of time passing and being unable to be grasped. Um, trying desperately hard to think of a really good surrealist example that is not Dali. Hans Belmer. Yeah. Is he, is he Danish? <laughs> no, he's German and he was in a relationship with the Unigestorn. And his paintings? I only know his photo- photographies. Of the dolls. Of here. Uh, of where he like straps her in a string to make her... Oh, I think that's mentioned in the intro as well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. to make her disfigured. Yeah. And... And she just looks like a lump of meat that is, like, cut in mm. impossible directions. A lot of, yeah, surrealists were into disfiguring the female mm. figure as well. There was a, I can't remember who did it. <laughs> yeah, that's no, terrible. It's really, it's, ugh, oh, it's the worst. 
But there was there was one a photography guy, I can't remember who did this, but he, he basically like he took pictures of the of a female body and then in post production of the day he he would like remove parts of her lips. Everyone I'd like to say that um, Sarah made air quotes while saying post production. <laughs> post production. <laughs> with, with your chemicals. <laughs> Not with Photoshop, is what I meant. I don't know, like, post-production, no one was really killed. <laughs> but all the animals were harmed. <laughs> but basically, yeah, big on um, disfiguring women, dismemberment, and surrealism. Who's another surrealist? Matisse, mm-hmm. the apples and the Apples symbols. and faces. And, yeah. And, and, well, well, yeah, that's also an interesting thing, is that you have... Actually, yeah, if you go with the Matisse thing of, like, apples covering faces, all these parents, even though they are described physically, they do not have rich inner lives that this third person narrator could, in theory, just hop over to another person's shoulder. So they're just shapes. They're shapes of roles. Which, I guess, again, is this kind of surrealist unconscious, but I think it's... I think maybe it does just feel like this kind of grouping thing of, like, saying, let's, let's pretend sensation isn't real, and it's all a language-based unconscious and she was just fucked up and didn't get that and it's like no don't dismiss this it, it's onto something else but it's being trapped by something yeah no, I, I agree 100% I'm not a huge fan of Freud but I like that he didn't like surrealism in the art sense of mm. the word um, because his thing was basically like okay so I came up with all these systems um, but you can't directly translate from you can't just say okay I had a dream about this this means there's not exactly mm. this. Like, you can't use it as an, a system of images that are easily understandable. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point well, of it. Well, yeah, the whole point of, like, of, like, dream analysis is that it's never a foreground detail that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Which is frustrating because then it's just whatever the psychoanalyst decides is the most important thing from the background. Yeah, exactly. And it also <laughs> makes for terrible art if you're using that as a structure to make art within because it's like, well, I, I see that you've mm. been thinking about this, but you're also missing something. Well, it's also kind of crazy because it's trying to say that there's a definite scientific explanation for your feelings, which is a one-to-one correlation. And, <laughs> and like, of course, melting clocks. Of course, your father's face is covered by an apple. Or, no, by, by a bag or something. And you're... Um, yes, it's because of the suicide. Uh, Isn't there that saying that the Freudian slip, when you say another, but you mean your mother? <laughs> <laughs> How many um how many forty how many Freudians does it take to change a light bulb? I've heard that one before, but I don't remember. Well, there's um there's one to hold the ladder, another one to hold the light bulb, and then your mother. Oh you know <laughs> <laughs> Actually that wasn't a good version of that joke, but it was okay. Did this book make you want to read any of her other works? Or was it good and I'm never gonna read her again? The second one. Yeah. I also am for the second one, actually. Yeah, I feel like I've learned about a subject position, which is one that is significantly less privileged in its both historical and gender proximity than I am. And having learned about that, that's fine. <laughs> that's so PC. <laughs> 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 the only answer you can make as a white male. Yeah, it's like, like I don't need to spend more time there. I'm just going to accept all the validity and go on my merry way. There's also the, the element of fascination because there's the whole, it's it's very much branded on the fact that it's the last thing she wrote. Is it the last thing she wrote? Yeah, yeah, she yeah. Yes, yeah. a year before she threw herself out of the window. Yeah. So she dies in the same way as the girl 
an act foretold unless her last completed work is the sentence on the blurb. Mm-hmm. In the blurb. But you had an interesting thing to say about this, Jill. You were saying about how... Yeah, I mean, she has said that it was autobiographical, so it's being read as an autobiographical piece, which mm. annoys me because it takes away all of her imagination. If you say that these thoughts were just unavoidable and this was how she was feeling, so it's almost as easy as writing a diary. Uh, I mean, it still takes imagination and just because she killed herself probably just means that she was, what do you call it, like unfriendly terms with those ideas. And yeah, it just annoys me because then she becomes one of those like mentally ill um, female authors, uh, which apparently has no imagination because this was all already in her mind. So it really took no effort for her to write the book. Yeah, I agree. That's why I don't like the way that it's... And if you want a more elaborate version of what I just said, read I Love Dick. (laughs) 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 I think there's an essay about just that. (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, as you were saying, so the branding of it is is somewhat shameful in that respect, because it's a blurb that offers an autobiographical explanation for the plot, (laughs) which surely should leave people at least the, you know, the arduous task of a Wikipedia search to reach their own reductive conclusion. Yeah, and it's a shame. I mean, the author is dead, and this should be read as a piece of fiction, and yeah, in its own merits. Because also, in addition to like what you were saying, to read it totally autobiographically would be to equate a grown woman's decision to end her life with that of a little girl. Mm. Would to say there was no difference in maturity or position or, or or the process by which you reach these decisions however problematic they are, it's just... Yeah, I mean, she was like 51 when she killed herself. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I was also thinking, because uh, we've been talking like we know what happened to her afterwards, so there's a strong temptation to read it autobiographically. Mm. And then at the same time, the, the, the very content of a book, it has very like uh, explicit Freudian or whatever psychoanalytic, psychoanalytical overtones. But... Do you think it will be like, is it possible to read such books completely without uh, those references in mind? Like, is it just possible to read it like and try not to impose all of this on it? Like, with your knowledge of who she was and with your knowledge of Freud. Mm. Because, uh, yeah, as we said, like, it seems a little bit as a doing an injustice to the text, like always looking for those references, which are so obvious in this case. But a part of the text must be its references. I mean, it seems purposely put there the whole Freudian thing maybe she underwent psychoanalytic treatment I have no idea but it is also possible to pick the book up and not know who she is and that she committed suicide and then you say that there's this whole prologue to the book that you could possibly also not read and then you don't know anything Um, and you can read it without knowing that she killed herself but you can still if you read Freud see that Uh, uh, mm. but but in this sense like would it like why would we even go through this? Because is this to... It's not like Freud written her theories after her book and this book could be used mm. as an example of, mm. oh, wow, Freud was up to something and this is mm. an example. Like, she knew Freud very well, mm. probably, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah. it would be a surprise if not. <laughs> so in this sense, it's kind of like, if it's written with a clear reference to Freud yeah. and like serve as a confirmation yeah. of whatever his yeah. theories, then it's kind of futile to... like. Like, what would be the point of actually insisting on... 
I think there's two different things. I think the autobiographical is a is a device is is a is a normative way of reading which we have to resist when applying it to women authors. We don't we don't often apply it to male authors. With female authors, it's worse. It's always the uh, yeah. I'll take as a catalogue of examples of this. Whereas the Freudian thing is yeah. I mean I think it's so purposefully there that there's no point in ignoring it. What I think is interesting though is whereas with other other um, other more recent feminist writers who write about Freud in their work write from a position of it, of being critical mm-hmm. and in what is frustrating about this book is that the way that the story illustrates Freud's theories is such that it's almost like it was a performative behavioral gesture where you read the theory and that changes how you act because now you start to see any because the reading the, the structures that you're reading about allow you to put your life within them and therefore when you create a story you're also saying I'm going to show how these structures do this Operate, thing yeah. Yeah, yeah so so that's the frustrating thing about it but there's uh, uh, but there's nothing wrong with saying this is yeah we should look no, at no no that was not my point yeah. it was just like I always have this thoughts like when I read anything like how far should you go and like is it okay to neglect certain stuff even though it's so mm. obvious that it's seemingly uh, inevitable to go through it mm. and like maybe as a sort of little experiment with your own self just try to like not go this way and see what happens if you go the other way and like what this book would be if you would like completely neglect it like would it still be interesting mm. like would it still be anything in it but how much can you make yourself a clean slate but then actually I, th- I was thinking that the other way to think about that would maybe think about it in terms of like what is Freud Freud is like Freud is something that but today um, literature students talk about mm-hmm. so actually when he was writing his theories all he's he, like the thing about Freud is that he didn't uncover anything except the society that he was living within mm-hmm. he didn't find the secret of human nature mm-hmm. so if it's already there but it's not human nature it's the particular conjunction of factors that come together that's what we're reading is a social formation rather than Freud's ownership of that social formation. Okay, that's a good point, I think. If that makes sense. It, I, I, I got something out of it. what you intended. But yeah, it's just that, like, the Oedipus Complex is a name given to a phenomenon about parent-child relationships which he saw happening, which is not to say it's human nature, but it is to say in bourgeois Viennese society there was a weird thing happening between young boys and their mothers, mm-hmm. which has persisted as that has become a, a beacon of a way weird. of life. Hey? Or that he deemed weird. He de- Well, he, no, he didn't deem it weird. He deemed it as essential to all humans. Mm-hmm. He deemed it as like unavoidable. Okay. So, but yeah, he, he said it could go wrong, but it was. <laughs> but in but in essence, you had to go through it. All right. Apart from all the Freudian structures, <laughs> I, I I think it does have, I mean, literary merit. If, if you try to, <laughs> if you try to look away from all the Freudian things, I mean, you are you are gripped by it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is very. The writing is very visceral and yeah. extreme and intense, and it's like right there in your face. And oh, it's a beautifully written novella. It's, yeah. Um, 
and that also makes it feel like something that is worth reading, even though the conversations you will have about it afterwards are stilted and difficult. Yes, uh, enthusiastic nodding. <laughs> yes. Emotional facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> Complex facial expression. Uh, but yeah, would you recommend this book? Yes. Really? Yes. It's short and it's intense. That what you want skip. out of a book? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's in, like you get a lot from the. I mean, for Page. the length it is. <laughs> yeah. Page one. It's good value for money. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's said in the intro as well. <laughs> If you want to punch in the face in the form of a book. Yeah, early. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, really good to, it's, a, it's a very well-crafted thing, which its problems are also my problems, so... Uh. Seriously? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, like, like it's, it's problems that I project to it. It's the problems that I... Um, it's problems that I experience as part of the culture. It's not... They're not gone, it's just hidden in different ways. Yeah. I don't think I would recommend it, but I wouldn't advise people against it either. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Put it down. I don't know if I want to read anyone's poems that have been written having read this book. I think they will be terrible. Yeah, if, if this was a poem, or several poems, I would... Yeah, well, I met someone who said, I'm going to do a poetry reading in here, all based on the work of Una Kassan, especially her novel Dark Spring. I go, eh. Yeah, I can't that night. I can't that night because I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on some Pokemons. Thank you for having listened. Next month, we'll be transforming into the audio hater club as we review Ayn Rand's inexplicably acclaimed novel, The Fountainhead. Stay tuned.